Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. On this week's show, posting May 29, 2015, we'll be speaking with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist William Beecher, later a spokesperson for the Pentagon and the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, about his recent World Policy Journal blog posts on the Iran nuclear talks self-sabotage or diplomacy the hard way, and Obama's worldview. We'll also point out top stories in the WPJ spring issue. But first, some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the West Wing Reports News Service. Well, there is growing talk in Washington that the U.S. should have a more robust response to China's buildup of artificial islands in portions of the disputed South China Sea. The U.S. and its Asian allies fear that China is using the man-made islands to further its territorial claims. An American surveillance flight over one such base drew warnings from the Chinese Navy and Foreign Ministry. The White House claims that China has created some 2,000 acres of land in areas also claimed by the Philippines, Vietnam, Taiwan, and Malaysia. The U.S. is also keeping a close eye on Ramadi, where Iraqi forces are trying to retake the city some 80 miles west of Baghdad. The Iraqi government says it is determined to push out the so-called Islamic State. Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter said over the weekend that Iraqi forces have not shown a willingness to fight the enemy, though other U.S. officials give credit to the Islamic State for its adaptive tactics. The situation has raised new concerns about the White House's strategy on the Islamic State. That strategy has thus far relied on air power to thwart the enemy. In Iran, the trial of Washington Post reporter Jason Rizian is underway. Tehran says he's really a spy, a charge the newspaper denies. The trial takes place amid delicate talks over Iran's nuclear program. Some analysts say the reporter is being used as a pawn to somehow give Iran more leverage in those talks. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandis at the White House. listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. We're here because we believe a deal can be done. Uh, it's in everybody's interest that a deal does get done. But it has to be a deal which puts the bomb beyond Iran's reach. There can't be any compromise. The American people were led to believe that these negotiations would be about ending Iran's nuclear program and, and its enrichment capability. But the current interim agreement <clears throat> makes one thing very clear. These talks have devolved into something else altogether. Two views of the multilateral negotiations on Iran's nuclear weapons potential. First, a hopeful British Foreign Secretary Philip Hammond back in March, then a dubious U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, pressing in May for congressional review power over any final agreement by the June 30 deadline. Concern about the talks produced unusual bipartisan agreement on Capitol Hill and a 98-to-1 vote for congressional review. But it also provoked unusual discord between the United States and many Mideast powers with which it's normally aligned. At a meeting with President Obama in mid-May, 
Representatives of the Gulf Cooperation Council, or GCC, demanded greater security guarantees against increased Iranian troublemaking in the region, even without a nuclear weapon. This week, we assess the state of negotiations, their implications for Iran, for the region, and for President Obama's professed preference for diplomacy over military action. Our guest is Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist William Beecher. Later a spokesperson for the Pentagon and the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Beecher is now an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland. His recent posts for the World Policy Journal blog are headlined, Self-Sabotage or Diplomacy the Hard Way, and Obama's Worldview. I spoke with him just after the GCC meeting for this podcast. William Beecher, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thank you. Uh, from what we know so far of the deal still being negotiated, do you see it as a significant restraint on Iran's progress to the bomb if enforced effectively, and could it be? Right after the framework agreement was announced and sold by the Secretary of State in glowing terms, Iran's uh, supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, declared that, one, all sanctions would have to be removed at the same time of signing an agreement, and two, there could be no inspections of military facilities. If Iran holds firm to those positions, it's hard to see closure on a deal in six weeks' time. But perhaps he was just uh, uh, making a, 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 taking a posture, uh, hoping to improve his negotiating position. Well, along the same lines, do you see the vote on congressional review helping Obama with a bit of bipartisan imprimatur or limiting his ability to make a deal and follow through by lifting sanctions? Uh, both. And ironically, uh, Obama tried his darndest uh, to avoid the congressional review, saying this is not a treaty, it's uh, an executive agreement among several nations. Uh, but the fact uh, that uh, the Congress has so uh, clearly uh, stated and assured it's itself of a, a review role may uh, ironically help his leverage in negotiations because the uh, Iranians will realize that unless they can offer something that is generally uh, satisfactory to the Congress of the United States, uh, it might be spiked. And therefore, it might, uh, it might help Obama's negotiating leverage. Well, let's pursue that a little further. The letter written by Republican senators to Iran's leaders, warning that the next president and Congress could easily scrap any agreement they dislike, was in many ways ill-conceived and counterproductive, you wrote, making the GOP vulnerable to criticism that it undermined the deal. But you also say it just might put pressure on Iranian hardliners to accept tougher terms rather than face military action. And you cite a change in Iran's nuclear program after the U.S. invaded Iraq. Say more about about that. Okay. Um, the hardliners uh, probably had figured that they could roll President Obama, who they thought wanted an agreement more than they did and at almost any cost. But now they have to worry about the possibility of the next president, the Republican president perhaps, saying, this is not a treaty, and I hereby vitiate the executive agreement as not being in our national security interests. Uh, therefore, it might force the hardliners to be more concessionary in the negotiations. Now, at the time uh, that the United States invaded Iraq, uh, the uh, Iranians became so concerned that they might be next that they put their entire nuclear weapons program on hold. And remember, even in Libya, 
uh, Gaddafi, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, suddenly came forward and said, okay, okay, uh, I have a nuclear program and a chemical weapons program, and I'm turning them all over uh, to the West. So they, both those countries, Iran and, and Libya, were concerned that they could be next by the uh, U.S. juggernaut. So uh, obviously uh, the Iranians, uh, while they may talk in a bellicose way, are very much worried about the possibility of war with the United States. Given the way U.S. military action turned out in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Libya, and Americans' war weariness generally, do you think Iranian leaders are as worried now that a military strike is likely? <laughs> Under President Obama, no way. But by another president, particularly a Republican president, uh, although it would be a very hard decision to make, uh, the Iranians would have to consider that uh, it was possible. You wrote that even after two or three months of heavy bombing, Tehran would be in a position to reconstitute a military nuclear program, which is pessimistic enough. But do you think a military campaign against Iran really could be so circumscribed? Wouldn't it likely escalate the troops on the ground, uh, confrontations in the Gulf where Navy ships have already had to escort some commercial vessels, and uh, counterattacks by Iran and Shiite proxies on its Sunni neighbors? Actually, uh, you're quite right that if it goes to war uh, with bombing, uh, it would not be limited. Uh, Iran would probably mine the Strait of Hormuz, uh, which would take two or three months uh, to clear of mines. Uh, and remember that uh, one-fifth of Europe's oil passes through the strait. Um, it would order Hezbollah and ha Hamas uh, to attack Israel with rockets. It would presumably foment terror attacks with its own resources, both uh, in the region and in the United States, perhaps. But no, the war uh, while it would not be limited in, in that sense, I don't see the U.S. sending in an army to try to conquer Iran. No way. Uh, the hope would be that after the uh, dust had settled, after the uh, extended bombing campaign, the people of Iran would say, uh, you know, we want to avoid long-term hostilities with the United States and the West and Israel, and we want to avoid isolation, so we better change the darn government. Well, we saw them try that before through democratic means. It would be interesting to see if they could succeed even against a, a devastated uh, Iranian regime. Uh, but that brings us to Obama's meeting with the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, which the new Saudi king and other top leaders avoided. Uh, what did you make of it? What have we learned about the demands and doubts that were expressed there? Well, it clearly was a snub, even though the White House and others have said it was not. When four of the six heads of state of the Gulf Cooperation Council decided uh, they were too busy to go to Camp David, uh, that was a, a clear uh, finger in the eye of uh, the President of the United States. Uh, remember that uh, the White House had announced that he was going to uh, confer a special private meeting with the new king of Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, at the time that they came here, and uh, hours before he was to leave, uh, the king of Saudi Arabia decided he was too busy. So it was clearly a snub, and a snub because uh, the Gulf uh, nations uh, don't trust the president of the United States, and they are very much concerned about what he's up to vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran. Uh, they're worried uh, not only about the nuclear, although that is terribly, terribly important, but also about the troublemaking of Iran uh, in, uh, in Syria, in Iraq, in Libya, uh, in Yemen, 
Um, recall just uh, within uh, while the GCC uh, said had some of its people meeting in Camp David, the Iranian Navy was firing shots at uh, at uh, a ship uh, in the uh, international water of uh, uh, of the Gulf of Hormuz. Uh, that was the second time in the last uh, two weeks that they've uh, tried to uh, force a uh, a, uh, a foreign flag vessel to come to uh, to uh, their own territorial waters uh, to try to resolve uh, a, a dispute. So they're, they're taking a very bellicose uh, attitude there. So the Gulf, the Gulf uh, uh, nations uh, had wanted a formal defense pact, uh, like the NATO agreement, uh, with the, where the United States would say, if there's an attack on your territory, we will consider it the same as an attack on our own and respond accordingly. They didn't get that. But they, but they did get uh, some some language, and what I imagine will happen uh, first, uh, they will buy billions of dollars worth of uh, air, anti air, anti missile missiles and uh, early warning radars uh, from the United States, which will help our industry. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but more importantly, um, it would be uh, surprising if Saudi Arabia and others don't try to buy nuclear weapons from Pakistan or North Korea, or seek to establish a homegrown capability of their own as a, a counter to what the Iranians are doing. Because uh, even in the best of circumstances, uh, an agreement would uh, make Iran a uh, threshold nuclear state that could, with the turn of a screw, uh, become nuclear capable. And so these countries, uh, uh, the Arab countries in the Gulf, uh, wanting to deter uh, the Iranians, uh, the Persian Iranians, uh, would want that kind of capability of their own. You can also see Egypt and Turkey um, going toward uh, proliferation of nuclear weapons as well. So a nuclear powder keg in the um, unstable Middle East could very well be in our future. Some analysts say Mideast nations are as worried about Iran with more financial leverage after sanctions are lifted by a deal as they are about Iran with a bomb if the deal falls through. What's your view? Yes. Uh, you can see that Iran uh, in Syria, for example, is uh, doing as much as it can to uh, bolster Bashar Assad, uh, both uh, with its own people and arms and uh, by getting Hezbollah, an agent uh, or a proxy, of Iran to intercede on the, on behalf of uh, the Syrian uh, president uh, in uh, in in Iraq, uh, they have moved in some of their own people and their own weapons, and they're trying to increase their leverage and their influence over the Iraqi government, even in the war against ISIS, uh, which, by the way, is Shiite, and the Iranians are Sunni. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the Iranians are Shiite also, but the uh, but the other Gulf states are Sunni. Uh, and uh, in Libya and in Yemen, uh, in Yemen they're supporting the Houthis. And as you know, uh, the Saudis and others uh, have been uh, uh, interceding, uh, at least with air power there. Why not a NATO-like pact uh, in, the, in the region with the United States uh, very much involved? The United States doesn't want any automaticity. Uh, some of these uh, states, uh, even though they, we call them allies, um, are uh, how, how, how shall I put this in a gentle way, uh, have interests that are not identical with our own. 
and uh, if if, uh, uh, if something happened, we didn't wouldn't uh, we wouldn't uh, want to uh, uh, force uh, our our administration, uh, whether a Democratic or Republican administration, to have to uh, respond to any kind of attack, uh, as if it was an attack on U.S. territory. What lessons do you see already in the very mixed results of uh, conventional Saudi-led Arab strikes against rebels in Yemen? How do we assure more military strength, capability, uh, wisdom uh, within that GCC area? Well, the, the Saudis had, had hoped uh, that uh, air power would be decisive against the Houthis in Yemen. Uh, but beyond that, they were considering the possibility of introducing uh, Arab ground troops. They went to Pakistan, and Pakistan said, no way, we're not interested in being involved with ground troops. They went to Egypt, and uh, the Egyptians who had fought in Yemen years and years ago and at, at high cost uh, have been very reluctant to commit ground troops as well. So I expect that the, uh, the effort now will concentrate on trying to come up with a, a confederal agreement uh, between, uh, between the Houthis and, and, uh, and the former government. How do you see all these developments affecting future judgment on Obama's worldview, uh, preferring diplomacy over force with, of course, the exception of unmanned drones, limited training, and uh, special operations? Will he get credit for minimizing U.S. losses when war seems ever less able to assure peace? It's a good question. I expect that historians will not be kind, however to Obama's fixation on trying to solve the most vexatious problems uh, with an open hand. Um, how has that worked in Syria, where more than 200,000 have been killed and Bashar Assad continues to use chemical weapons? How has it worked with Vladimir Putin, uh, with his annexation of Crimea and the invasion of eastern Ukraine? Not very well. Perhaps uh, the Nobel Peace Prize was uh, not only premature, but not totally warranted. Well, I guess they would argue that uh, among that uh, awful death toll, there were far fewer uh, American losses than if uh, he had tried to take a, uh, a more military action. Uh, American losses, perhaps, but uh, America should play a role in trying to minimize problems uh, where it has national self-interest at stake. And Obama, for example, in the case of Syria, he could have, he could have agreed uh, early on uh, to start, uh, as, as, has, as was re recommended by uh, his uh, national security team, including uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, to have uh, trained and armed uh, the uh, rebels against Bashar Assad. He refused to do that until very recently, and now it's very late in the game. Uh, the Turks said, we will get involved uh, militarily against uh, the uh, uh, Bashar Assad if uh, you will put in a, uh, a no-bombing zone along the, our border and uh, threaten to uh, shoot down uh, uh, Bashar Assad's helicopters and, and uh, combat aircraft if they venture into it, and he refused to do that. So overall, uh, you think that uh, it's going to be a negative rating, or is it still uh, open to uh, some reevaluation in, in, in the light of history? Well, unless he can pull off a really um, um, 
a mutually satisfactory agreement with Iran, I think the uh, the historians will will uh, be pretty negative in assessing uh, Obama's foreign policy. Uh, but if if he can uh, surprise us all and come up with uh, an agreement that is uh, not only comprehensive but really verifiable uh, with Iran, uh, then that would uh, certainly uh, weigh on the, on the scales. William Beecher, thank you. You're welcome. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist William Beecher was later a spokesperson for the Pentagon and the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission and now is an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland. His recent posts for the World Policy Journal blog are headlined Self-Sabotage or Diplomacy the Hard Way and Obama's Worldview. Featured in the spring 2015 issue of World Policy Journal, you'll find articles on intelligence failures leading to the Mumbai terror attacks, on the future of Islam and Islam in our future, and AIDS after the Arab Spring. Plus, tune into next week's podcast as we dig deeper into the Yemen conflict with Fernando Caraval at the University of Exeter in Great Britain. World Policy On Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Publisher David Andelman, Managing Editor Yaffa Frederick, Online News Editor and Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>